The All Souls Witchy Women Podcast, Episode 5, The F Word, Part 2. Welcome to All Souls Witchy Women, a fan and definitely non-official podcast where we talk all things All Souls. We're three women who met over Outlander and then jumped into the All Souls world like the time-traveling witches we wish we were. A few weeks ago, we did a special Mother's Day episode, and we had so much fun talking about the mothers that we felt it was only fair to show the fathers some love. So this week, we are discussing the fathers of the All Souls trilogy and the special brand of love that they bring to their children. I'm Nikki. I'm Janet. And I'm Ashley. And we're hoping that you hang out with us for a bit as we discuss fathers, the F word. I had such a hard time keeping a straight face in the F word part due because this is an <laughs> honor of one of the greatest movies of all time, Hot Shots part due, when Charlie <laughs> Sheen was amazing. Yeah, back when he was palatable. It was before all the winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will come as no surprise to either one of you to know I have not actually seen that movie. It's it's so terrible, Janet. They do they keep a tally of the number of kills because it's just gratuitous machine gun killing and so they just have a counter in the bottom of the screen at one point. Oh god. It's like the naked gun version of Top Gun. Or yes. yeah, naked gun meets Top Gun. Yeah. And I now know all I need to know about it. Yeah, I don't think anything we've said would make you Leave this room right now and and go find it on Amazon Prime. Enough about Charlie Sheen and Hot Shots. This is the F word part two because we've already done an F word. We did fear, but now we're circling back to the good old F word and we're going to do fathers. I'm not even sure why we do spoiler alerts. Well, we're just we're going to talk about all three books. We're we're going everywhere. All three books. If you haven't read all three books, I'm going to say it again. Read all three books. We will wait for you. We won't. We won't wait for you. But if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now. Come back. Catch us again later. With that, let's go into Father's. I, I will start this off by saying I, I had a couple of moments last year right before Father's Day where I reflected on uh, fathers. And I think I've already said their special brand of love. But I, I was thinking about the differences in parenting between mothers and fathers and and how we each kind of bring something different to the table, different and necessary uh, for raising our kids. And so I wanted to bring some of that into this conversation as well. So we're going to talk about the differences um, between the love that mothers and fathers show, uh, the differences in the relationships between fathers and daughters and mothers and sons, the tests that fathers seem to want to put their children through, and we might get to some other things along the way as well. So that's the roadmap for where we're headed. We're going to start off with parents love, fathers versus mothers. And I have to take my sweater off. <laughs> you have to take your sweater off? <laughs> I don't know. I got. Are you, are you having a hot flash? I think the I idea am. Of getting her parents together is just so overwhelming to her. She has to start just oh, shed layers, the heat. Maybe. Maybe it's the thought that my parents are here right now. Oh. You know. Well, that's... In the bedroom above me. Yeah. It's too much. Anyway. All right. As you dissect how their love for you is different from one to the next. Perfect. Keep going. <laughs> oh, God. I'm more creeped out than I was before. I was actually considering if we should bring my father on as a guest for the show. Oh, you did ask him? 
no, kind of kidding around. And he was like, no, I don't think you would want that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't think I would. And I don't think you would enjoy the conversation really. So it's fine. All right. So let's kick this off. Like <laughs> reel it back in here, ladies. How are we going to kick off this mothers versus fathers? I know, Janet, you had some thoughts. I loved how you, you kind of teed us up talking about the long game love of a father which I really wanted to hear more about, because I, I think this definitely speaks differently to a mother's love versus a father of how they parent and how they love uniquely and differently in their styles. So maybe you can kick us off by telling us sort of what you were thinking here with the long game love of a father. Well, I just, I feel like the fathers in this book series in particular, you know, have both the immediate vision of sort of what's going on day to day, but then they have benefit of actually, you know, a century of time or more than one century of time to sort of do some of their planning. And um, because Philippe, you know, definitely sets things up and treats Matthew one way based on where he is in the 16th century in, and is planning ahead. Um, and I think trying to prep him for what's coming without necessarily knowing all that's that's coming. And Stephen, I assume it's Stephen. I know it's spelled Stefan, but can we agree it's Stephen or do you guys think it's Stefan? Oh, I think it's Stephen. I think my okay. child is the only one who thinks it's Stefan. Okay, cool. All right, so Stephen- more refined than any of us, so I get it. I think it's <laughs> That's Stephen. That's probably true. <laughs> She's certainly yeah. more refined than me. So I think Stephen also, you know, um, he preps Diana, you know, even as Rebecca somewhat held her back. I mean, you know, they both had ways that they were trying to protect Diana and prepare her, and yet they both chose ways that were very different. And I showed think showed differences between mothers and fathers in parenting, in particular. You know, Rebecca's methods were all geared towards protecting Diana and you know spellbinding her and helping her to sort of stay contained and not fully necessarily understand her magic because she was concerned about what she saw that was coming. Where Stephen is much more sort of like, you know, take a risk, jump out there, do it. Especially when I thought it was so beautiful when he got to go back in the 16th century and they actually had that whole interchange. And, um, you know, he enc he encouraged her, though, we, the little snippets we get even over the, the course of the books, he encouraged her to play around with her powers, you know. And as, he, you know, when they meet up in the 16th century, he says, you know, you don't like the unknown. Don't be don't be perfect. Be real for change. Empathy is the key to most things in life, you know, and I think that's a very, that's much more of a risk taking approach to parenting. And I think that's true for mothers and fathers. I mean, it would be interesting to see how, you, you know, I was definitely, you see, you see it even with um, young fathers and babies, right? Who's tossing the baby in the air and who's like gulping, <laughs> worried about it, right? The father's throwing the kid up in the air, wee, you know, and the mother's saying, <laughs> don't throw him so high. <laughs> and I think that's it right there in a nutshell. <laughs> That's kind of what I wrote about, sort of looking at the way we're raising this child. And I feel like a mother's love is is so immediate. It's focused on, does she have enough clothes? Does she have enough food? Is, does has she have enough vegetables? Has she eaten her fruit today? And he's on the other hand going, she's fine. You know, when when she's 30, it won't matter if she ate a banana today. And he's right. And I know that. But I am so focused on today, tomorrow, next week. And he's looking at this from a completely different perspective. It's like, you know, she can have some tater tots today. That's fine. She's, she's going to be healthy when she grows up. And when she was three and she was on a climbing wall, he's cheering for her to go to the top and hit the buzzer. And I am petrified, even though she's, 
you know, clipped in and she's got a safety harness on. I am worried about her immediate safety. And he's looking at her at the top going, wow, this is amazing. She can do anything. That That's one of the things that I, I've seen certainly in, in my own parenting, but I do see it in in the books as well. You know, I've, I went back over the last couple of weeks and read A Shadow of Night and fell in love with Philippe in a way that I didn't the first time through, because I think we've talked about that. I just wanted to know how the story progressed and how it ended. And and I didn't really have time to dwell on Philippe. But as I did in preparation for this, I, I just thought, how wonderful, because he really is playing the long game. He sets them up. You know, he knows that he won't be able to fight their battles for them. And he knows that battles are coming. But he puts them in a position where they can win those battles. And he lays as much of the groundwork as he can. And and I really love that aspect of this. Well, I think it goes to, I mean, we sort of had this putting the test in testosterone. I think that that's much more sort of, you know, there are points in that barn scene in particular where you're just like, oh my God, Philippe, take it, give it a rest. And yet, especially in rereads of that scene, I mean, I think he was absolutely right. You know, he was pushing Matthew to get beyond some of the things that typically sort of hold him back, you know, whether it's his his anger, his extreme protectiveness, which, you know, comes from the whole mating idea, but, you know, protectiveness to a fault. And I wonder if that's, you know, some of the differences between mothers and fathers, too, is that mothers err on the side of the protective part, whereas fathers err on the side of the, you know, go ahead, take the risk. How bad can it be, you know, as he like almost cuts Matthew's arm off, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think if my mother could have, she would have, and maybe still would put me in a bubble for sure, where my dad was more, you know, that rope was a lot longer um, of letting me go out on my own to try things and to, you know, really look at it from a developmental phases in the long term as opposed to right in the immediate. So everything you all are saying, I'm just sitting here, my my childhood is going on (laughs) flashing Mm -hmm. in front of me. Because I think we've talked about strong women, but I think strong women and strong mothers still coddle. And I won't change that for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're much more, you know, very, as you said, like very involved in the immediate. Um, What are your basic needs that I can meet right now? Um, I also think there's a degree of the, the the old saying, like, give a man a fish, he eats you know, f- mm-hmm. for a meal, teach him to fish, he fishes for a lifetime. And I'm not saying that we as mothers don't do that. But I think that fathers are more geared to looking at it for let me teach you how to do this so that you can do it on your own. Eventually, let me watch you stumble a few times so that you learn how to do it on your own eventually. And I feel like I saw a lot of that as you're reading these books, not only from Stephen, just in, you know, how she's reflecting on him differently than she reflected on her mother, but mm-hmm. also in how you're watching Philippe with these characters. And um, I will say I had a moment of role reversal this past week, at least for me. Now, I've always been a little bit of a, you know, a risk taker, adventurous and that sort of thing. But when it comes to my to my baby, who's <laughs> five years old, that's something altogether different. But he decided when we were on vacation, he wanted to do this zip lining thing. And normally, I think my husband would have been like, yeah, let's do this. But he's recovering from a broken ankle. So he couldn't crawl, crawl on the tree with him. And it had to be me. And I'm list, I'm looking at him up there like this is a test of faith in me letting you try things on your own, giving you, you know, the courage to to do it. And I felt like, oh, my God, this is the moment where I just want to pull you out of the tree and put you on the ground. But daddy doesn't want to climb in the tree with you. He can't. And this is me <laughs> and only me doing this with you playing both roles. Like, let me nurture you, but also let me encourage you to say, you can do this. And I can't help you walk across this. They won't let me. You've got to do it. 
Um, which in hindsight, a five-year-old <laughs> high in the treetops, maybe not a, the best idea, but <laughs> it just had to kind of like channel both par- parental roles and go, no, like what he will gain from this will set him up to think that he can do things that he never thought he was capable of doing. And it's just, you know, indicative of this one thing, but like, what does this one thing lead to next? And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just had a moment where I was like, these are the things that my dad always did with me that my mom would be like, get the hell out of the tree. But, (laughs) you know, I had this moment where I'm like, I don't want him to look and think that's only what daddy does, that mommy can do these things with you too. And that you can experience that kind of teaching you for life from from both roles. To -hmm. your point, Ashley, I think it's cool to, to sort of see both that kind of role reversal, if you will, with the experience that just happened with the zip line. But also, um, I think it's I think it sh- speaks to sort of that ideal, which is to have, uh, if you can, have both parents or have both entities have the nurturing side and the risk-taking side. You know, the yeah. the, the, the coddling side and the testing side. Um, you know, it doesn't. We we're talking about it's like you know, partners, man and woman. It doesn't have to be a man and woman. No, women, as we see with you know Sarah and M. Right. I mean. Right. Um, you know, Sarah is definitely much more of the testing side and um, Emma is much more of the nurturing side. But in a lot of cases, sort of the male takes the lead on the sort of testing thing. And I think one of the epitomes of that, um, you know, besides um, Philippe and Matthew in the barn was I thought Matthew and when Jack comes and meets them in the in the 21st century and, you know, has this full on um, blood rage thing. And, you know, Matthew, who also has it, you know, he is, you know, he is all on the tough love thing. You know, he, he really pushes him and, you know, sort of says, you've got to focus on me and all of this. And he, and he won't let it. Whereas Diana's response is, you know, to jump in and save him, you know, to want to touch him, to want to hug him. And, um, you know, she has that fantastic moment where she, um, you know, puts, um, what's his face? Um, (laughs) shit. I can't believe I can't think of the the B word, the other brother, <laughs> that guy. Baldwin. Thank you. Puts Baldwin, you know, in the briars and, you know, he's completely can't, you know, she just immediately reacts and uses all of her powers. And that's, you know, just a great moment. But ultimately Matthew's response with that tough love and testing and not letting Jack be nurtured is the thing that turns out to be right. So if you can have the mix of both, you know, I think you get the, the best potential outcome. Can't believe I couldn't remember Baldwin's name. Shoot me now. Anyway, <laughs> I will not. <laughs> we need your brain. And Janet, there will be another trivia question before the end of this podcast, and if you answer that one correctly, it will completely wipe out your incorrect answer here. Yeah. So it's going to be okay. double or nothing. <laughs> that trivia question, by the way, may or may not be related to All Souls or to Hot Shots Part Two. Oh, <laughs> good. I. <laughs> I hope I pass. Oh, you will pass. Um, You were talking about putting the test in testosterone since the beginning of time. I love that, by the way. Um, And one of the quotes that I had loved from Shadow of Night when, you know, they realized like, oh, geez, daddy knows we're something is off. We have to make a move to settle this. Or should we go to him? Should we not go to him? What do we do? And when they were kind of strategizing about what their next move is going to be. And Matthew says, you know, he sent the seal. It's a test of loyalty. My father loves tests. And I loved that because it was just delivered so succinctly and just very matter of fact. But I just felt like, yeah, your dad and every other, you know, whether it's to um, 
I don't know, to, to, to help you grow, to help, you know, test your loyalty, to help make sure that you're, um, I think, you know, thinking in a way that's street smart, that's keeping yourself safe, you know, that's using common sense. I don't know. I, I mean, it was specific to the situation when he said it, but I just giggled when I read it because I was like, I kind of did that like, hmm, yeah, yours, mine, everyone else's, you know, it's it's just sort of the nature of fatherhood is that that test and testosterone, um, which is such a great way to say it. Even even as mothers nurture, the fathers are always testing. And I don't know, it's very mm-hmm. relatable. Of course, it would be interesting if we like contacted my kids are adults, It'd be interesting, just, you know, contact my kids and sort of say, so what do you think about that theory? I have a feeling they would say that mom was a pretty good tester as well. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's a, that's a good mix to have, right? Isn't it good to, it's not the, I don't know. I, I feel like we, we didn't necessarily do this with the, I think we did do this with the mother's episode because we talked about how mothers are like the protective mama bears or the nurturers, but they're also like, don't, don't get in our way or watch what happens, you know? Um, and I think that there is a lot to be said here for fathers in that as well. Like fathers aren't meant to be just like these stern, you know, testing figures. They certainly, my, you know, my dad has probably, uh, been more emotional to me in times than my mom has and expressed, you know, words of affirmation and just, I used to call them those Danny Tanner moments, referencing how I felt like it was a full house episode. And around about the 22 and a half minute mark, he had some like jewel of wisdom to drop on me at the end of something. Now I'm like, no, I think that was just like the humor to break it up. But that was your way of um, parenting with emotion that I know that I have friends whose whose fathers, they that don't do that. And they didn't get that relationship with him. So I know that I'm, I'm very lucky if you can have someone who will, you know, yell you into the next block with anger and, you know, test you and that sort of thing, but also then be able to um, do their version of coddling as well. Yeah. I, I think that is so true, Ashley. And I mentioned earlier that my parents are here right now. And, and so I've been, I've been thinking for the last few days about the differences. And when I, when I started thinking about this podcast, it was impossible for me to think about it in the same sort of breakdown as we used for the mothers, because in my head, they're just so, they're just completely different things. And, and I'm sure that that stems from the relationship that I have with my father and the way that I see parenting. And, you know, it's very similar to your story. I, I talk to my mom a lot on the phone. I get emotional with my mom a lot. As far as deeply emotional things, I have really had more of those moments with my father because we always laugh and say, especially with his father, when he was alive, if if he speaks, you need to listen because he doesn't say a lot. But when he does... You better be ready for it because it's there is going to be some wisdom coming out of him. And so, you know, that was my grandfather. And my father's very much like that, too. You know, he doesn't have a lot to say. He's, he's not chatty. But when he does say something, it's, it's going to be deep. And when it's sort of an emotional thing, it's going to be very emotional. And we're probably both going to cry. <laughs> I saw a lot of that in Philippe when I was going back and reading these passages um, b- between Philippe and Diana, how the bonds that they made and in, in just the very short time that they were together were probably as deep as she had with anybody else. And I, I thought that was that was incredibly special that he had other daughters, but he took her on as his own daughter. And something that I read today that I didn't catch the first time is when then Diana went back to London and she was with Goody Alsup and Goody Alsup was was kind of 
checking her which vital signs. She saw the mark that Philippe had put on Diana's forehead. And one of the kids in the room said, what's that? And she said, it's the mark of aware. Philippe had gone so far to protect her. He had, had made her his daughter and, and he had made sure that she and Matthew were married. And there was this mark on her that protected her from her own kind. He not only protected her from other vampires, but he protected her from her own kind. There, there's something so special and so deep about that bond. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, we, you know, we talked about um, in the mother's episode, surrogate parenting, you know, these, these figures that served as surrogate mothers in the story. And I think that, you know, as someone who lost her parents at a young age, she obviously flipped to find this. So what she found in Isabeau in a different way, she found obviously in Philippe and, you know, being able to have that, that surrogate father. And of course, she does run into Stephen later, but it's in, it's in passing. It's a fleeting moment. So to be able to to, you know, to have that father figure just for this, just for this time in their lives that, you know, that is so important and not only building their relationship, but starting their family and her really discovering herself and to have that kind of backed up with the support and the validation and the love of this person who starts out being so just hard to crack. Um, you know, when they first come in and, and there's he and, and Matthew are just it's so much chest puffing and nose to nose, word for word, trying to match each other. And then to see all of that sort of soften in the way that he knows how to do it and for her to be accepted and for her to feel that I just can only imagine. I like that image of chest mm-hmm. puffing. I think that's a guy thing. Oh, for sure. You know, um, we can probably talk about that when we talk about sort of same gender parenting a little bit further down in the podcast. But I wanted to say something about the the testing, the test and testosterone thing with Philippe. You know, he he tests Matthew in a number of ways, you know, starting with the seal, basically saying, I'll, I'll see you in five days. Good luck getting here, but you better show up, you know, to the barn. But one of the, the upsides of that, and sort of, I thought one of the poignant examples of his doing that testing was how he tried to get Matthew to stop like the self-flagellation and, and uh, you know, constant atonement um, and feelings of regret and to start letting go and living. I, I thought that was, you know, I mean, that's sort of the upside of putting someone to a test. It's trying to help you see flaws or ways in which you're holding yourself back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philippe sort of tested Diana yeah. as well, yeah. right? I, w- w- with the witch whose name I can't remember right now. I mean, that's that's one hell of a test. She offed the guy without hesitation. So she's she's worthy of you. Yeah. No, he's, I mean, he's like, you know, he's the super tester. Um, and yet after you read the whole series and you sort of see how he helped to set certain things up, you're like, all right, well... That was probably a good plan <laughs> overall. They probably wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been as successful. Um, he was really setting up the whole family um, through some of his stuff. And, you know, and that, mm-hmm. and that's his, for, his, his ability to sort of juggle so many different moving parts is pretty impressive too. I'm wondering what you guys think of um, Matthew as a father toward Marcus. I got to tell you, for me, I never really saw it. I, I know that that's his role, but I always sort of saw it either as like the much older big brother or an uncle type relationship. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I understood it. I understood like, okay, you know, I, I don't know. I understand. He's sired you. This is, this is technically, this is your father. But I think because of the way they were always just, I don't know, um, 
you know, doing things um, in the research realm as equals or making decisions, not as equals, but not, it didn't, it didn't strike me as a clear cut father son relationship. I just kept thinking like, okay, this is sort of like, um, you know, when you've got a, a brother and a younger brother who are maybe a dozen years apart, or you have an uncle who is not quite as older, maybe it's like a parent's younger brother, and you're closer in age. And so there's a unique relationship there that is fatherly, but isn't necessarily like a parental one so much as just like a guiding older sibling. That was me. That's just me. I, I never really, it was hard for me to grasp like, oh, right, that he's his dad. Forgot. No, I agree with that. And I think the same way, it, their relationship feels more competitive because especially at the beginning when Marcus had first met Diana, Matthew was always growling at him and trying to make sure he didn't overstep with Diana in a way that he didn't really do with anybody else. I mean, he certainly made it known that Diana was his. I don't know. It, it felt like he viewed Marcus as, as competition. Well, don't you think some of the ways in which fathers, you know, do the testing is because there is kind of this, you know, this competitive posturing edge? I mean, you know, it's like, what's the day your son becomes taller than you are, right? I mean, you know, which happens, certainly did in my family. Um, and, um, you know, and suddenly becomes or becomes a man, you know, and men are, you know, I mean, then it, then it gets into what, you, you know, the chest puffing you mentioned earlier, Ashley, of, of, you know, just it becomes much more of a just kind of like, well, we're both men in the world now. So how's that work? And I think that's mm -hmm. different than how um, women react when their daughter or sons become adult. I don't think they see it as the same kind of potential threat. And I wonder if that goes back to like, you know, caveman times or something. I do think Matthew protects Marcus, though. Uh, you know, he chooses some odd ways to do it, like going to New Orleans and basically, you know, killing everybody who <laughs> was associated. <laughs> like a good father would. <laughs> so kind of that maybe. That's the most fatherly. Yes, exactly. Right. With my bare hand. You know, so he was, you know, what was he trying to do? He was trying to protect Mar Marcus and, you know, and he, and, you know, the blood rage thing was, was a problem. So he went at it the only way he sort of knew how, I mean, he'd been ordered, but he followed through on it. And I think he was motivated by good intentions, but, you know, sort of the strategy of implementing it might've left something to be desired. However, I will say that, um, you know, once Matthew, you know, lets out a bunch of his secrets are discovered. You know, Marcus has every right to just be kind of like, whoa, you suck. And yet he stays by him. He's super loyal um, and, you know, has all the best ideas about sort of some of the strategies about what they ought to do to sort of, you know, overcome the congregation and stuff. I mean, although he is very angry, he does say, you know, if you'd make these moves and... um form our own scion and do this and do that, I will stay with you. And I will, you know, and by any other right, he could just be like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. And, but mm -hmm. he doesn't. So he's, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to his book, Times Convert, so we can get more of his backstory because I'm sort of fast. I think we'll learn things about him that will provide insights into sort of his relationship with Matthew. I have to say, when I heard that the book was about him, I, I wasn't I wasn't all that thrilled. And then I read somewhere a week or so ago that there's also plenty about Diana and Matthew when the twins are 18 read months that old. In my blog post. So 
Did I? That was excellent reporting, Janet Reynolds. Excellent and timely. In other news, if you haven't read Janet Reynolds' blog post, go ahead and allsoulswithwomen.com. Oh my God, that was awesome. Anyway. I read so much stuff. I don't know where half of it comes from, clearly. <laughs> no, sorry, but that was just, that was too perfect. Anyway. It's too late to go back, seem semi-intelligent about that, isn't it? We're just, yeah, we're, we're just going to have to leave it like it is. Yeah, I right. think it I think does make you, it, you retained it. That's the important part. You retained it and it meant something to you and it is now informing this wonderful podcast episode. So it counts. It's like I tell people at work, I don't remember all the details. I put things on little sticky notes in my brain just with subject titles. And if I have to reference the sticky note, I'll remember what the rest of it's about. I just I don't keep it there all the time. I'm certain your sticky notes are those like fun neon colors and not the pale pastels. Oh my God, okay. yes. Continue. Well, I think it might be time for wine. Can I say one thing before that? Well, I'm going to. So, yes. Yeah, sorry. But one yeah, thing. I well, no, I, I want to say, because I think it goes more to sort of this section rather than the next section we're going to go to. So that's why I want to mention it now. I think it is, it, it, it was so wonderful that these, that Philippe and, um, Matthew and Diana and Stephen got a do-over um, because they got to, you know, it was incredibly emotional and challenging for Matthew to see his father again and have to say goodbye again, knowing what was coming. But what what a gift ultimately. And, and also Philippe figured certain things out that then informed what he sort of thought was coming. And, you know, Stephen got to to meet his daughter as an adult, you know, uh, and to, you know, give her pieces of advice that then informed her future. You know, Diana gets to tell Philippe he won't be alone when he's later going to be tortured. Um, and, which then comes to its own resolution afterward when he he sends her the box that has the note in it and the key for the ferryman and all that, which I just love that part. Um, but this idea of um, getting to sort of fix things on some levels or set things up in other levels, you know, we never get that in life. And, um, you know, as someone who's both, both my parents are dead, um, you know, I just, I, I loved the, the, that point that you could have a moment to, to get a do-over or whatever. And, and the ways in which that idea was used in this book series, I thought was really lovely. I just mm-hmm. wanted to say that. I do too. It reminded me a lot. I'm going to make a plug for one of my favorite sports movies of all time. And that would be Field of Dreams. It made me, it, it sort of had me go back to that, that dreamy place at the end where Kevin Costner realizes that his, he's looking at his dad as a young version before he'd ever had him but his dad has awareness that it's him as an adult with his own children. Mm -hmm. And like the things that you say are different than you would say, you know, if time were linear and you're having this opportunity that you would never have otherwise. So what would you say? Um, So I can, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you in this dreamy state thinking about how lovely that was because what are the chances in what world would you ever have that opportunity to have either a do over or not even a do over so much as like, I get to even do it because I was maybe robbed of it to start with. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved this part of the book as well. Well, and I also think it's, you know, in terms of a, a theme, it, you know, you can take away from the book, Oh, I should take more advantage of the moments um, so that I don't, um, you know, feel any of those regrets or whatever. So you can, it can be something that can be used as something that's proactive um, 
for people whose parents are, you know, still around or, you know, whatever, just even in a broader context about how you, um, how you as a parent treat your children, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's just, as with the other themes in the, in the book series, I think this is an interesting one. And as you were saying, you know, since we have time travel in the book, it's also a reminder that not, you don't, we get very stuck in this idea that everything is linear, right? I'm going to get up tomorrow and then I'm going to go and do these 10 things and then I'm going to go to bed and then it's the next day. But if you let go of that a little bit, I mean, that is our overall context, but if you let go of that um, a little bit, you can sort of expand time while it's happening in different ways if you just think about it differently, which is kind of like its own time travel. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just going to say this, and then we can go right into the wine thing. Um, your advice to stay in the moment and use this as a proactive lesson. Uh, right before we started recording this lovely podcast or, or moments before, um, I was putting my young son to bed, and I went in and I was like, thinking, rush, 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 I got to get set up. And he said, um, can we just snuggle? And I was like, okay, you know, just for a little bit. And then he looked at me and he said, I hope we can snuggle forever for our whole lives. And I thought to myself, mm. as our other friend just watched her high school son graduate today, like, I know these moments are fleeting. And so I just sat there for a second longer, like, yep, I think I'm gonna make you ladies wait for just a few moments, just in case, because I'm going to wallow in this and just go, this time is fleeting. You know, not everything has to be on some sort of rushed schedule because in a child's brain, like every moment counts and he may or may not remember that he's ever said that, but I will. So let's make it count. And now we drink. Now we feel a little melty. Perfect. A good time for alcohol. Yeah. An excellent time for champagne, I would say. Yes. I, I heard a rumor that our sommelier Bayard has, has selected a lovely bottle of champagne this evening. And he is going to tell us a little bit about it. We are celebrating Father's Day. So gentlemen, we toast you. Today we are talking about champagne. And no, champagne is not just for women, it is for men as well. Kings, prince, dukes have been drinking it for generations. So men, today we toast you. Champagne can only come from the Champagne region of France. Otherwise, different regions have different names for it. So Italians, call it Prosecco or Spumante. In Spain, they call it Cava. Here in the United States, we call it sparkling wine. But if it says Champagne on the bottle, it only comes from the Champagne region of France. Really, really fun, interesting facts about Champagne. When you open it and the bubbles start happening, that is secondary fermentation. So that is the yeast and the sugar interacting. If we don't do it that way, we force carbon dioxide in the bottle. Those are the two ways that you can make Champagne. So either when you open it, we go through secondary fermentation or we force carbon dioxide in there. Champagne has always been a great celebratory gift and a celebratory beverage. Now, opening a bottle of champagne, there's a lot of pressure in there, about two to three times as much pressure as in, as in a standard automobile tire. So you have about 90 pounds per square inch of pressure. If you shake up a bottle of champagne, you're going to have even more, and all of a sudden you have a weapon in your hand. So be careful and stand back once that cork comes flying. Most people say that champagne gives them a headache. Sometimes if you drink it too fast, it will give you a headache because of the sugar, but also because of all those little bubbles, the alcohol will enter your bloodstream faster. So be careful. Also, interesting fact, Winston Churchill, every single day at 11 o'clock was served a very, very small bottle of Paul Roger, P-O-L, 
capital R-O-G-E-R. Phenomenal champagne. Every day at 11 o'clock, he had a little bottle of Paul Roger. So if you are a champagne lover, perhaps you'd like to go the way of Winston Churchill. It's always a good practice. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. We toast Thank you, you so much, Bayard, for your fine bubbly champagne. champagne for a bubbly podcast. And I still, I just go back to, I think it's really appropriate that he chose a beverage with sparkles for an episode where we were talking about all the sparkly skin vampire daddies. There you go. It's true. They all have that gorgeous skin that sparkles. So we might as well talk about wine that sparkles. Absolutely. So let's cheers to champagne. Cheers. 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 Uh, so let's talk about the differences in relationships relationships between fathers and daughters and fathers and sons. And there are differences. I, I think we can all agree. So uh, we want to start this section off by talking about some of the feedback that we got from social media. So we put a call out to, uh, a few weeks ago that we were doing this podcast episode and we asked our social media followers what they thought the differences were in the relationships between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. Ashley is going to read some of those um Two of those comments that we got back from from some of our followers. Yeah. So Pages and Libations, who is a, a, a generously loyal follower on Instagram, said, From experience, I feel like I always want my dad to say that he's proud of me, even if we don't have the best relationship. For my brothers, I feel like it's similar, but for them, it's a need to prove themselves to my dad. As a mother, I feel like I'm much more cognizant of the little things that my husband might overlook, and I take things very personally. For example, next month, I'm going to spend my first night away from my seven-month-old, and I feel really guilty. I look forward to time for myself, and my husband agrees that I need it, but I feel guilty. He wouldn't <laughs> bat an eyelash for knowing he needs a day of space. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you all have talked me off that ledge of guilt, by the way, before. Oh, my God. We talk each other off the ledge. I think we just got a podcast, The G Word, coming down the road. Oh, oh, yeah. Thank you, Pages and Libations, for that. Yeah. That's a good call. That'll be a four-parter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whew. But I think she she raises, you know, a, a good point that it's it's this proving idea, which is something that we, we talked about, We you know, we talked a little bit about earlier, about sort of, and especially as they become both, they become men. And I think it, I think it's different. Whereas I have two sons, the way that I parent them has been different than the way I parent my daughter. The way they have reacted to me has been different than the way my daughter has reacted to me. And I think the same would be true of I've watched them with their father um, versus my husband with my daughter. And you know, there there absolutely are differences. I was thinking about this in relation to the D word, the the desire episode that we did, how we talked about the fear. I don't even know what I'm trying to say now, but basically I am more afraid of not making my father proud than I am of disappointing my mother, if that makes sense. Because you know, moms, they do that. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed thing. My, my dad never did that. My, that. That's a my mom thing. She gives you the eyes. You know, she's disappointed. She doesn't have to say anything else. And I never really had that fear so much with my dad because that that wasn't really his thing. But to know that I've made my dad proud, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> that was everything. That excerpt from Pages and Libations really, really resonated with me because I, I absolutely feel that. And you know, I see it, I see it with my daughter. You know, we're the ones who are together most of the time because the man in our life travels a lot, and so you know, there are days when we spend 
lots and lots of time together. We have a different sort of relationship than she has with him, but I, I know when he when he sort of lavishes praise on her or when he says to her, I'm proud of you, her face lights up. Her reaction is completely different than it is when she hears me say something like that because she hears me say that every five minutes. And it just doesn't mean as much as it does coming from him. Perhaps that part of part one of the differences and the way it gets played out is that sort of withholding of commentary or how how emotion is is shared. Although, you know, Ashley was saying in her family, some of that might be a little bit reversed, but you know, that could be part of it. <laughs> That's the end of my thought, sad as it is. It was a lovely thought. I was just over here silently in self-reflection, which I know is not helpful for an audio podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> because I realized how I didn't, maybe I had never really had that cognizant thought until you just said it, Nikki, about the difference between, uh, I mean, I, I love that both of my parents are proud of me, but it is different when my dad says it or when he expresses it. I don't, I don't know if that, and he's, it's not like he's shy on, you know, heaping out words, but I think it's just maybe that the bar is set higher, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so when you actually, or that my mom feels pride for different things than my dad does. So I don't know. I, I was just sitting over here going, my God, I've never thought about that, but you're right. Holy crap. You're right. That explains so much. That's a good segue into the next comment. Yeah, although I do just want to say, at this point, I feel like Pages and Libations, who I wish we knew your first name, has maybe gone on this trip or is about to go on this trip, and we just all want to enthusiastically send our support for you to do it. Yeah. Oh, girl, do it. Please do it. Your husband may or may not feel the same levels of guilt, but they're just wired differently, and it's okay for you to feel the guilt, and it is also okay for you to go away, and we're encouraging you to do that. And now that you've done it once, maybe just keep doing it. Um, We also got a comment from Jenna Gray, who responded on our Facebook page and said, um, when asked about the differences between the way fathers love daughters versus sons in general, I think parents are much tougher on their same-sex children Not because of some dipshit Freudian competition theory, but because we know how hard it is for people of our sex, our kind, for want of a better term. (laughs) There's a bit more distance with the opposite sex children or child. It's easier to cut them some slack because expectations are slightly lower or at least softer. I have three daughters and a son. They're all drama creators in their own special way, but my son is just so much easier (laughs) On a certain level, because I haven't felt the same imperative to make him brave and strong and tough and brilliant, and I can just enjoy hanging with him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is, and I think that bears out with Rebecca and Stephen and Diana and with Isbo and Philip and Matthew and definitely with Sarah. So um, I'm making sure that this is still her comment. She knows what it is to be a less than brilliant witch. Gods, how hard it must have been to be Rebecca Bishop's sister and will drag young Diana kicking and screaming if necessary, at least into minimal confidence if it kills her. Oh my God, I love this so much. I know. I just wrote in capital letters in our Google Doc, Jenna, this is a great insight by Jenna. Cheers and Jenna. I, I would also like to say, Jenna, if I ever form a band, I want it to be called Bullshit Freudian. Dipshit. Oh, I agree. Dipshit Freudian competition theory that I will name my band that if I ever form one. Can I play a tambourine in it? Because that's about all I can Absolutely. contribute. But I I was so excited to read Dipshit Freudian competition theory because it just was like, 
let me take all your psychology 101 and throw it out the window. I think it is true. I mean, again, having had two sons and a daughter, um, you know, um, and part of it, I think, comes from the fact that the same sex parent with the child at a certain point, what do you have to do in order to become your own person? You have to differentiate yourself from the same sex parent. So, yeah. you know, where you literally, in the case of a daughter, came out of the person's womb, you have to become different people. And it's easier to be, you already are different if it's the mother and a son. So the same thing with fathers uh, and sons. At a certain point, what what are they, you know, doing the chest puffing about? They're j- chest puffing about becoming different people and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to accept this part of you as part of me, and I'm not going to accept this part of you because I think this part of is like, you know, bullshit. And I don't like it, you know, or whatever. Um, I don't believe it, or it's not part of my, my sort of um, compass that I'm creating for myself and how I'm going to direct myself in the world. And, you know, that can be, I mean, that can be challenging, but I absolutely think that's part of it. Yeah. And I think our same sex child is what we feel is a reflection on us in a way that like for me, a boy would not be a reflection Mm -hmm. on me so much. You know, if my child grows up and she can't do whatever, people are going to look at me and why did you, and say, why did you never teach her to do this? What you have failed as a mother. (laughs) You know, I feel that burden that I feel like I've got a checklist with 1.5 million things on it that I have to pass on to her before she's out of high school or college or whenever the money runs out. As parents, we we have these conversations where, you know, he feels like I'm being too hard on her. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have to do this. And and I saw that, you know, much much to Jenna's comment, I see that play out in Sarah's relationship with Diana in a way that it didn't play out with Emily. Because Sarah, I, I thought this poor girl is a reflection on me. She's my family and I failed her. She can't do these things that she should be able to do. I have failed. How do I fix this? And Emily's more kind of like, yeah, she's her own she's her own person. It's okay. And I feel like that's, those are kind of the conversations we have in yeah. my well, house. Well, you know, and, th- and that's a very good point, Nikki, because it's at the same time that the same sex child is trying to differentiate him or herself, right? The same sex parent is sitting there going, but wait, but wait, we still have 10 more points on my checklist that you haven't figured out yet, or you're not listening right. to. And, you know, you can see why there might be some strife. <laughs> Absolutely. We are only on page three. You have still not gotten an A on page two yet. Incidentally, could you go ahead and pass that checklist on down to me? I would appreciate it. Thanks. Save me a few. I I mean, I obviously can only really relate from being a child. Uh, You know what I mean? Being my, my mom raised two daughters. My dad, I think, was like, could we get some testosterone up in here? I've got a wife, two daughters, three sisters, a mother. My father died when I was young. Oh, my God, please. And so now we're raising a son, which I always wanted because I think I always wanted a brother. I just really, I don't know, had strong male relationships and thought, oh, I would love to have a son. Of course, I would have been happy to have either. But I do watch, again, age five, don't have much to contribute here just yet. Um, although I do feel like, uh, my parenting partner here gets stuck in a lot more pointless power struggles with a toddler than I do. And Mm -hmm. 
I think, and then I think, would you be doing this with a daughter? Or is it just because you've got, I mean, this is like the earliest form of the chest puffing where he's testing you and you're testing back because I see other um, male friends of mine with daughters who seem to be a little bit more bendy at this age about certain things (laughs) than they are with a son. Um, So I only have the one to go off of, but I just look and think, I wonder if you would be doing this or caring this much or engaging in this pointless power struggle if it were a daughter, or is it just because it's a son and you're trying to like mold a man yeah. and you're very insistent on how that's going to get done because he's five. So we've got, we've got some time and Nikki has a check. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Let's give it a little time. But anyways, I, that's, I don't know. It's all interesting to ponder because yeah, I was in a, grew up in a family that o- that only had one sex, you know, it was two sisters. Now, my husband is the product of a sister-brother family, which I know, Nikki, you are as well. Um, mm-hmm. And Janet, obviously, you've raised them. So it's very interesting to me to always, like, observe it or hear, how is it different? How did you do it differently? Did you do it differently? And I guess that's my question to you, Janet, to, like, wrap up this section as someone who has had the the benefit of being able to parent both a a male and a female, how did you do it differently if you did it all? I think some of the lessons you're trying to teach are are different. I mean, you know, raising a daughter, you're trying to raise a child who is, you know, strong and self-aware and comfortable in her body and sure of her place in the world. And I think that, you know, requires messaging that is different than what you're trying to teach a son, which is to, they have certain doors open to them that are not open in the same ways to girls. And so one of the things that I was aware of when raising my sons was that I wanted to raise young men who, um, would respect and appreciate strong women. I think it's in the messaging. Um, I, I think I was, it gets more down to sort of, I think the child's personality. And I think I was um, harder on my two oldest children, one of whom was a girl and one of whom was a boy. And then I was on my last child who was a boy because he was a different, he was, he was way more sort of sensitive to sort of outside influences. So have had some pretty serious arguments with my two oldest children, um, you know, as in the like, we're a, we're a foot away from each other yelling fairly loudly. Um, and that's never happened with the, with the youngest one, because as soon as you just said his name in a slightly aggravated tone, he would like immediately freeze. So, you know, so it's more, it gets down more at a certain point, it gets down to personality rather than just gender. Did I answer that question? Yeah, but I also have to tell you, I am aware that you're not a... I realized I asked that question of you, and this episode is about fathers. But since we are a female-driven podcast, I just was curious, and we already did the mother's one, so I want to know. And I felt like that was... I don't know. That was what I was assuming. Like, you can't... Oh, oh man. The neighbor pal down the street came up with the best thing. He said, um, you can't bake the same cake with a different recipe. Yeah. <laughs> Which I just was like, is that going to be the name of your self-help parenting book? Because that's incredible. You can't bake the same cake with a different recipe because each child is different. And so I think you just validated that whole concept. It has nothing to do with gender so much as it's a different human being altogether. Mm-hmm. And yes, part of the reason they're different is because they are a different gender, but it's not that clear cut. It's not that black and white. So... Yeah, I think you answered it by saying you you did it to each personality and to each 
human, not because it was a son or a daughter. Yeah. And I would say that, that my husband, their father, would did the same. So there you go. We've gone full circle. Well done. Indeed, we have. We've gotten a couple of lovely reviews on iTunes. And we want to say that we really appreciate anyone who takes the time to sit down and write a review for us, no matter how brief it is, because we really appreciate that you've listened to the podcast, that you've taken the time to say something nice about it or hateful. We'll take either. But then we'll put a spell on you. So there's that. It's true. I got a couple of new herb books this week. And every time I open the book, my mom says, what kind of spell are you going to do now? So watch out. Ashley, I was wondering if you would be nice enough to read the uh, couple of the reviews that we got recently. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So Tony Kane, 88, says, great series. If you like the books, you'll enjoy hearing these women discuss them, their lives and how they intertwine. Yay, Tony. Yay, Tony. I feel like he just re- rewrote all of our social bio, <laughs> summarizing what this little podcast in our humble corner of the world is about, because that's what we're going for. So it's so great that you picked up that. Tony Kane 88 also sounds like a NASCAR driver. I- <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> so true. Let us know, Let us know Tony Kane 88 Send us a note. Are you a NASCAR oh driver? God. We need to know. Oh my God. That's so great. Put four new tires on. Okay. Um, happy listener 25. Love that one as well, by the way. Happy listener 25 says funny, bold, insightful women talking about a wonderful book series and more. What's not to love listening to this podcast feels like hanging with friends in the best of ways. Yay. Thank you so much. That makes me a happy podcaster. 27. I especially love that review. Because that is that is exactly what I hope people feel like, that they are sitting around the kitchen table talking to us as we talk to each other. So I, I love that. For final thoughts, Janet came up with an excellent question. Final thoughts will be in the form of an answer, not a statement. All right, here's the question. Which one would you like to have as a father, Philippe or Matthew? Janet, go. Philippe, that's all I'm going to say. Really? Now you're out of words? Uh, no, you, you want me to say why? Yes. Okay, because I think that I would learn the most from him. I think I would, I liked his teaching methods better than Matthew's. Fair. All right, what say you, Ashley? Philippe. And my reason is for, my, my rationale is far more trivial and sophomore. Okay. I like sophomoric. <laughs> because I read this book with lusty eyes for Matthew, so I cannot look at him as my father. Oh, that is so awesome. I think that's totally fair. You creeped me out with the question, so I had to answer in the only way possible. Well, I'm going to answer, and if your answer was sophomoric, mine is going to be eighth grader-ish. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that has another term, but eighth grader-ish is what I'm going to go with. Um, it would definitely be Philippe, because I know how I tested my own father as a teenager, And he didn't have blood rage, and I'm pretty sure he almost killed me a couple of times. (laughs) I I think that personality would not be compatible with Matthew. I I think Philippe would be a little bit more understanding. So as to Janet's thoughts, I I think he has, I I think he's a better teacher and not prone to violence in the same way that Matthew is. He's the family killer for a reason. A father, a a father with a teenager and the father that has blood rage. Oh my word. It just seems like a really bad combination. Janet, you're going to have to help me a little bit here. We did tease the S word. Yes. In the last one as our next episode, the S, well, we teased it in our last one and then we put this one in. So, you know, now we're teasing it again, but the S word. We teased it so long ago. I don't know what the hell the S word is. Well, you guys, I never told you. (laughs) 
but we're doing the S word. But we're doing the S word. That makes me feel so much better that I didn't forget it no. and that you didn't write it in a blog post. No, I did not write a blog post on it. All right. But we're we're doing the we're doing the S word and stay tuned. I'll let you know what that means. Hopefully before we record. That will be the case. So the S word it is. And s'mores. And stay tuned. S'mores. Mm. Sorry, I'm hungry. Go ahead. Take us out, Nikki. Thank you for spending some of your valuable time with us as we discussed all things All Souls. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And then if you feel inspired, you'll leave a review on Apple Podcast. If you'd like to join in the conversation, find us on Twitter and Instagram at All Souls WW, on Facebook at All Souls Witchy Women Podcast and Blog, and online at AllSoulsWitchyWomen.com. See you soon. 